0: We'll be in Psalm 19 today, and before I start, uh, I just want to say that today is actually a very special day for me and Shelly, who's sitting in the back over there, uh, because uh, it's actually the Sunday after Christmas, and before the New Year is the first time we actually came and visited Harvest three years ago, so it has been three years. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad it's not the other way around. Um, well, thank you. We're, we're actually really grateful, grateful to be a part of this church family, grateful to be a pastor here, and, uh, and grateful to walk alongside you all and grow in loving God, one another and others. So thank you for receiving us. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for being there for us. Um, so, We will be in Psalm 19 today. We have a lot of ground to cover. So let me set the stage up for, for this passage. I was actually watching a video called "It's called Title uh, Earth from Above." It was promising to show us some of the spectacular wonders of the Earth. And so I was watching; it was just blurry and pixelated. And looked at the settings; it was on 240 pixels, so it's just a standard definition of uh, image. So I changed the settings. I we really increased the resolution to 4K. Uh, kind of like higher definition. And the picture was just amazing. I just wish I could show you that just the creation, the beauty of God and, and what he has done with the earth and how majestic it is. And in a way, in some way, I think there is a contrast here when, it, when we talk about God's speech through his creation Versus God's speech through his written word. So you think about it, when you see God's, the text says here that God speaks to us through his creation. And then we also have God speaking to us through his written word. So if you just have the creation and God speaking to you through creation, you can know there's a creator. But would you really know that it's actually the biblical God who created Would you know what you would know about Jesus? What would you know about his covenant? What would you know about his love, his mercy, his commandments? We wouldn't know any of those things when we just look at the creation. So we need God's word. So the way I've divided up the text is that, you know, I'm just going to give you the roadmap on what's going to happen. From verses 1 to 6, we'll just see the standard definition of God's speech, which is creation, and then we will see the high definition of God's speech, which is God's word. And then at the end, from verses 12 to 14, we're going to respond to God's word. So the big idea is that abide in God's word to have a heart that honors Him and lips that declare His praise. So just think about it the creation is declaring God's glory. If we are that creation, why would we do anything less than to actually declare God's glory with our lips? So abide in God's word to have a heart that honors him and lips that declare his glory. So I'm going to read the whole chapter. Just bear with me. It's a long chapter. This is David writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is God's word. It actually talks about God's word. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. God, just as how David ends, let the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, oh God. As we think about your word, your speech through creation, through the Bible, please help us to understand. Open our eyes to see and understand and to receive your word. God, we're not just after information, but transformation, so would you transform us by the power of your spirit using the word in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first point is that God's speech in standard definition, that is creation. God's speech in standard definition. So creation powerfully declares God's glory. We see that in verse 1, David is acknowledging that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And not just that, it's actually not passive declaration, it's actually dynamic and active. The creation is actively declaring God's glory. Notice in verse 2, it says day to day and night to night. So it's not just a one-time act that creation has done it in the past. It's actually every single day that the creation is declaring God's glory. Day after day, without any break, declaring God's glory. Then... Every star, every stretch of the blue sky is broadcasting just the reality of the Creator, saying that God is majestic and powerful. And just look at the wisdom of the creation. So, that When creation is declaring, it's not just some bright light in the heavens. It's actually talking about God's wisdom, the way He created, the intricacies, the details of all the creation. And then... It says day to day, it's every day. And then look, look at verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So it is interesting that creation is declaring God's glory, but there is no speech. The creation is declaring God's glory, but there are no words. It's not like a human language that creation is declaring. Yet its message is universally understood. In the sense that creation is continuously relentlessly declaring God's glory. But there are no words, but there's no speech. It's a silent sermon. So creation is declaring, powerfully declaring God's glory, but then also creation has no limits in declaring God's glory. Look at verse 4 again at the end. It says, the voice, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So this voice, this w- voice without words, is going through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So creation is, everybody's part of the creation, if you're a human being or not, you're animal, whatever it is, when God created, we all are part of the creation, and it's everywhere. And the declaration of this glory is going to all the earth and to the end of the world. And then he says, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom. And at the end he says, it runs its course with joy. The sun coming every single day, rising with joy and declaring God's glory. The sun is joyful. When we think about this glory of God. What we can just understand from just reading these verses one to six is that God is powerful, He's wise, He's majestic, He is gracious, because the sun comes every single day. Why would we want to take it for granted that the sun should come tomorrow? But he is gracious, he's faithful, his faithfulness never ends. So we see right in here, when we're trying to understand the glory of God, that God, the creator that created, he's wise, he's faithful, he's powerful. But if we just stop there, we wouldn't know who this creator would be. So we need to go forward. That's where the verses 7 to 11 are important. But I just actually... When we were in Canada at the Unashamed Conference, I took a few pictures. I just want to show this to you. My dad didn't believe that I took this picture. He thought I, I downloaded it. But it's next one, this. And then uh, in that mist, there was actually a bird enjoying all the mist. So I just took that. I thought it was so cool that the bird was enjoying the creation. But he said, if you stop there, you will never see God's glory in higher definition. You will never hear God's speech in higher definition. So we need to go forward. That's when it comes. Verses 7 to 11. God's speech in higher definition. Holy Scripture. We can discover God through his creation, but we can understand him through his scripture. We can know about God, his power, where you can actually have a relationship with him through his word. So I'm gonna show another picture here. This one. This is where our audience participation comes. So just look at the picture and just tell me, what do you think, who do you, like what do you think about the artist? Cute. A kid? Good, it's a kid. <laughs> no, it's good, that's good. That's what, that's what I wanted. What else? It's your kid. Thanks. <laughs> It is my kid. Great. We are smart people here. What else? Oh, you were in the first service. (laughs) Sorry. Good. What did you say? Uh, Let me give you a hint. Look at the faces of mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Joseph, (laughs) my wife is Mary. No, I actually didn't realize When I saw the picture, I didn't realize anything. This is actually Zara who did this, the artist. So when when we just look at this picture, we would think, okay, it's a kid, right? Everybody understand it's a kid, like the creator, the artist. But then for us to know it is Zara, look at the mom, he's white, the dad is dark. (laughs) So in this four-year-old mind, a dad would be dark, (laughs) mom is white. I mean, I know there are so many dads here who are not dark, but (laughs) in this four-year-old mind, who's the creator, who's the artist of this picture, thinks that's her reality. But the point in sharing this picture is that we can know that it's a kid who drew the picture by looking at it. But you wouldn't know which kid it is until someone comes and gives you the context explains it to you so the purpose that God given us the scripture is to know him to understand him to worship him so we start from verse 7 let's just i'm going to explore the verses 7 to 11 um, through five contrasts i think that would serve us better in that way so i'm going to co- contrast it from the creation to God's word. So the first contrast is the revelation. So going back to the instrument that God has chosen to speak. So creation is speaking. And then God's word is speaking. So you look at a creation. And it says creation points. Speaks of God's power and majesty. But then when you look at the law. It's comprehensive. It's a divine guide for us. So law here is the Torah. Which means instruction. And then there's testimony, which is actually God telling us about himself, that he is God. Remember in Exodus, when God gave the commandments to his people, and it talks about he was inscribing it with his own hand on the tablets. What was the first words he wrote? I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. In other words, like Israel, I'm your God, meet me. So he's giving us a testimony. In other words, creation, you would know there's a creator, but you wouldn't know unless he gives you a testimony. And then precepts and the commandments are just instructions for us to go in the direction that God wants us to go. It's his creation, so he knows how it functions. So he's telling us how to go. And then the fear signifies the deep reverence. It is also an instruction. For example, in Psalm 34, verse 11, it says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So this fear, whatever it is, it's supposed to be taught. So the authorities, the commentators tell us that it's actually inspiring obedience and devotion. Just beyond when we look at the natural creation, you have this awe and respect for the creation. But when you look at the scripture, you would actually have more than just admiration And then ordinances or judgments are just moral directives showing us from right, from wrong. So when you track all the usage of these words in the Old Testament, this actually talking about the written word of God. So there is one speech and there is other speech. And then the next contrast is God's name. In the first six verses, God is mentioned once in verse one, and it says the glory of God, which is basically talking about El, the Hebrew word. There is El, Elohim, which is just a God's universal name as a Creator in the beginning, God. But then when you come to verse 7 to 11, David says six times the law of the Lord. So like he six times he's telling the law is from the Lord. The Lord is the Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. So it's not just about knowing God as creator, it is actually about knowing Him, the Lord, the Yahweh God, as our personal Lord. Then contrast number three are the attributes of the word. So we saw the nouns, all the nouns, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, and then the Yahweh God, and then just look at the adjectives of this written word. It's perfect. We need to look at the creation. We know creation is beautiful. But just as we are fallen beings that need to be redeemed, we know from Romans 8 that creation is also subjected to futility. Because creation is fallen, that means it's not perfect. When you look at God's Word, the first thing David says is the law of the Lord is perfect. You can't improve on perfection. It is perfect. This law is perfect. Perfect. Creation, imperfect. As majestic as it is, but the law is perfect. And then he says, it is sure. Means it's trustworthy in the sense of that God's statutes are trustworthy foundation for us. Something that you can rely on. It's verifiable. You can bank your life on this. And then the right, the rules of the Lord are right. means it's just straightforward and just like, it's telling you as it is. You look at God's word. When you're messed up, it will tell you you're messed up. When you're <laughs> obeying God's word, it will tell you God is with you and he'll help you. We all need a friend like God's word who will tell us and not flatter with us and tell the truth. So that's what it is, right? And then it's pure. That means it's radiant and bright, enlightening the eyes. So... It's not the light bright. It's actually opening our eyes, enlightening your eyes bright. And then it's clean. means pure, like refined silver. It's a clean life that lived in the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is clean. It's a life that lived in the fear of the Lord. And then it's true. She's basically saying sure and truth. In the sense that we can depend on it. What is all these attributes? If you just look at them, you would know that these are the very essence of God's character. He's perfect. Yesterday in our reading plan, we were reading through Malachi chapter 3, and one of the verses says God does not change because he's perfect. There's no need for him to change. God's word is perfect. So the, the very essence of God's character is actually communicated to us through this word. So then the contrast number four is the impact. Look at the physical creation. It's more than able to communicate God's glory. Then you look come to God's word. It's not just communicating with us, it actually desires us, God desires us to change us through his word. So look at the impact of the physical creation. The physical life, creation sustains our bodies, creation shows us the vastness, the the, the sunlights of the whole world. When you come to God's Word, it revives our soul, restores the whole person, makes wise the simple. In other words, the pride are humbled and the humbled are elevated. The humble are elevated. Rejoices the heart. Scripture gives us joy, peace. How many of us would actually would appreciate having just the time of the joy and the peace in our lives. God's promising that through scripture, we can have that. And then it enlightens the eyes, makes gives the light to the eyes to see and receive God's word. So in other words, what Psalmist said in Psalm 119, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So it actually tells you, gives you directions and makes your footsteps firm so it's opening your eyes to see and understand the reality. And then it endures forever. It's like God. It doesn't change. We have societies change, we have cultures change. In midst of everything that's changing, there is this one stable rock as foundation throughout the histories, throughout the centuries that has never changed. And it's still relevant. It makes righteous altogether. means to make us righteous, being transformed into the image of Christ each and every single day. That's the impact. Then the last one is the contrast, the value. So again, you look at the creation, it's a powerful display of God's providence you come to God's word, and David is actually praising God's word. It says, He says, More to be desired in verse 10 more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Think about all the possessions that the physical creation would give. Then David is saying, This is the most expensive thing that you could find back in his time. And he's saying, God's word is more desirable than that says it's sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So I guess they didn't have ice cream back then. But it's saying it's sweeter than honey. So verse 10 talks about just the possessions of this most expensive thing and how much our hearts would desire wealth, how much our hearts would desire possessions. David is saying, You should actually desire God's word more than that. And then it's sweeter also than honey. Just think about this. I actually had to wrestle on this idea all week. So I want to invite you in that journey. (laughs) So when God's word says the commandments, look at the commandments of the Lord are pure. Okay? The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true. So, you look at the rules. And it says they're true. What does it mean the rules are true? You know, C.S. Lewis uses his analogy, explaining us, but he he uses the analogy of the door. If I say, shut the door, well, it's a command. It can't be true or false. But if you ask a question, is the door shut? Then it is true or false. So like, yeah, it's sure, It's true. Or how can you delight in something that is actually constantly rubbing you, your nose, telling you, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. How can you actually delight in a commandment that is actually going against your own will? How can you be satisfied in it? How can you actually desire it more than the world? So yesterday, thankfully, I came across C.S. Lewis' answer, and this is what he says. He says, imagine when David was writing this, the context towards he was writing. All the other nations around Jerusalem and Judea where Judah were pagan nations. And their rules were so immoral that you wouldn't know how to even actually obey God, their God. Their rules were so immoral that you wouldn't know what's going to change, what's not going to change. They were so pagan that David actually is thanking God for his rules. You do one thing today, you wouldn't even know if it's the right thing or the wrong thing because the rules could change the next day. Then you're in a problem now because you actually obeyed something that's from yesterday, but today it's actually a different thing. But when you come to God's word, it's unchanging. It's true. That is why you delight in it more. That is why you actually love it. And more than honey. And more than gold. Because it is the rock foundation of your life. As opposed to the rules of the world that keep changing. As opposed to the laws of the world that keep changing all the time. You have something that's foundational for your life. That's why you delight in them. That's why if someone says... Blessed is the man who abides in God's word. This is why. Because they're standard. They're pure. They're perfect. So, the value of God's word. And it begs the question, right? Okay, he's speaking through creation. He's speaking through his word. Why did he write it down? Why did he write it down? First of all, he doesn't want us to miss the glory. Second of all, He's actually given some tangible ways for us to respond to his word. That's what David does in verses 12 to 14. So it gives me a third point is responding to God's high definition word. And we noted that physical creation is universal. And it transcends human language and boundaries and geographical barriers. But God actually desires to reach to the innermost parts of our heart he's not just concerned about his glory to go towards all the earth he's also concerned that his glory would reach to the innermost of our being so you look at what David is doing here in God's word so I've kind of divided up that God's word prompts a realization about our condition You look at David says who can discern his errors so you respond you look at God's word and like gosh I've I really I've messed it up. It says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. So God's word not only prompts a realization of our condition, but it also helps us rely that He is our only hope. A reliance that He's our only hope. So you look at what David is doing here. He said, declare me innocent, God. Unless you do that, I won't be innocent. Because that's how he ends the verse 13. So said, then I shall be blameless and innocent. So declare me innocent. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. So what that is, is—that is just a sin that you don't even realize that you're doing it, but you have done it. So David is acknowledging the reality of it. And he's asking God to declare him innocent. Then he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. The presumptuous sins means... You know it's a sin. You've acknowledged that you've sinned, but you have never repented of it. So David is saying, God, please keep me back. It's a reliance about not just asking for forgiveness, but also to make us clean. To kind of like Psalm 51 way, to creating us a clean heart. So, and then finally, God's word prompts us to a resolution to live a life that honors him and pleases him. So the goal of godliness is to be acceptable. In verse 14, he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. So the word acceptable here is actually a sacrificial language that David is using. Uh, It's kind of the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so that's the same word. So then you ask the question, like, how can I actually sacrifice? Like how, how my words and my meditation be a sacrifice to God? Notice David doesn't end there. He says, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is why it is acceptable in the presence of God. You come all the way to the New Testament. You look at Hebrews 4 where it says Jesus was the one who actually delighted in God's law. Jesus is the one who fully obeyed God's law. So he actually did everything that Psalm 1 describes. And when David is saying here, let my sacrifice be acceptable, we know that David's great-great-great-great-grandson great would come one day and then be the sacrifice so that one day we can be acceptable in God's sight. So because of what Jesus has done on the cross, paying our penalty, we would be acceptable. The sacrificial language that David is using, the words and the meditation, that can only be possible by faith in Christ, by the power of His Spirit, because He has done it. And when We rely on Him He's actually changing us day after day into His image so that we can delight in God's Word, so that we can rejoice in God's Word. We can obey God's Word. So, as we conclude, I just want to, in, in some practical, tangible ways, I just want us to respond to God's Word. So, another last one is the contrast, the responses. You look at the physical creation. It declares the glory of God. It speaks. It speaks. Every language hears, every place is affected, but notice at the end, there's no response. At least not the response that God wants us to do with this word. When you hear God's word speaks, I hear, I am affected, and I respond with God honoring speech, God honoring heart and a God glorifying speech. So then it begs the question, right, how do we hear God's Word? I'm not trying to have a shameful plug here, but this is where the Bible reading plan comes, right? It's not the only way you hear from God's Word. Obviously, you're hearing right now being preached. And Pastor Mike preaches every Sunday. You hear God's Word. And you discuss it in the small groups. You're reading God's Word and you're discussing God's Word. That's not the only time I hope, hope we all can study God's Word, read God's Word every single day. So it's a 2024 Bible reading plan. going into the New Testament in a year. So what what this plan is that the way I've designed it is uh, five chapters a week. It's actually, I'm uh, adapting this from the Navigator's Bible reading plan, but the only thing I've added was the memory verses. So, Five chapters a week, so we'll have break on the weekends to catch up if you missed a day or two, or all. Uh, But it gives us enough time to actually dig deeper, go beyond. We're used to reading two chapters a day. Now we actually can read one chapter, but actually focus and try to meditate and memorize God's Word, hide it in our hearts. So the Bible reading plan, it's there. Uh, There are other resources that are available for you to actually read God's Word. Obviously, I'm not suggesting that this is the only one. But here's what I want to encourage you. Just imagine what it would be like if all of us are reading the same text, memorizing the same text, the impact it could become in our life in this church family. We all are being taught by Jesus. We all are being taught by the apostles' teaching. We all are actually reading through the struggles of the early disciples. We all are encouraged by God's faithfulness. Then we're memorizing the same verses. We're actually meditating on the same verses. We're talking about it during the small group. Just imagine the potential, that the transformation that would happen in our church family and the advancement of the gospel through us. That's why I want to encourage you to be part of it. I'm sure there are better plans, but be part of this reading plan, so we can actually study God's Word together. Discuss it in your small groups together. Recite it to each other together. And then we just don't want to stop there, right? Because spiritual maturity just, just isn't about how much you know. It's about how much you love. Also in 1 Corinthians 13, if I know everything, if I can move the mountains... Yet I still don't have love. I am nothing. It's about how much we love. So then how do we fuel our affections for the Lord? Right? We commit to respond in obedience, in prayer. Again, another shameful plug, but this is actually, I trust, I trust that this is actually helpful. A week of prayer and fasting so the way I've divided it up is uh morning daytime self the evening family or friends if you don't have family here uh you read God's word you respond to God in prayer in praising him and there are some uh prayer points obviously you respond the way God is speaking to you but you respond to him is the important thing and then uh there are so many other prayer points here we praying we're going to pray for the local outreach partners that we are part of and, and different ministries that we have at Harvest. different. We're uh, we also going to pray for our church plants that we send out. So all those things are in here. Read God's Word. You respond to God's Word in prayer. You pray for all these ministries. And the most important thing is just to start. Just try not to overthink about these things important that we actually do it then if you've never been part of this because we can overthink and then just never do anything about it so the most important thing is for us to start And so, you want more research on how to study God's Word they're already on the website you can go there access them and how to read God's Word pastor Mike has written meeting with God outline so it would actually help you to have a devotional time so it's just a very practical tool on how you can have a devotional time with the Lord. It's right there on the website as well. You can access them. There's also uh, an article written on just the practical ways on applying the week of prayer and fasting. So you can use that. You can be benefited by it. And so use these tools. And then we, even in reading God's word every day, just think about have some help. You're not meant to do this alone. The help is, first of all, like to have a good translation of the Bible. You're not, obviously this is a Hebrew text translated into English, unless you're like my wife who read Hebrew in our seventh grade, you have to rely on the translation. So get a good translation. We are preaching from ESV translation, so we recommend that, but there are others too that are good. So get a good translation. Get a good study Bible. It's very helpful tool, very helpful resource. I use ESV study Bible for my devotions every single day. Gives you, helps you important things that you need to understand to just to get the understanding, get to know the passage, understand it better. Gives you the context, who wrote it, to the audience, what's happening in their lives that this author has to write this. So like, for example, this Psalm 19, they say that, David probably was writing in the time of um, the pagan idolatry, that how they would worship sun. And David is saying, "No, it's actually the Creator who put the sun there. Why are you worshiping the object that He has created? So just to give this context, it enhances your understanding of the Bible. And then, with the prayer and fasting, just morning. Divorce, and then with the family time or friends time, just anticipate some. If you have young kids, just anticipate some kids from your questions, just you never know what they're gonna ask. This Christmas morning happened like last week, when I was doing the devotional time with my kids, explaining to them the Christmas story, and Navi asked me, I said Jesus died on the cross, and the, his immediate question was like, if he died then how can he speak? How can he be a God? How can, like, wait, what, how how he couldn't, like, understand, like, God dying on the cross? And I've explained to him, but if you don't know how to explain, you can always play the heaven card. Just tell him, son, I don't know the answer, but one day when we go to heaven, we will know the answer. So you can do that, or you can just say, can be humble enough and say, "I'll get back to you," and you know that gives you an opportunity to study more. And so, uh, the evening devotional, the passages are very short because I have young family, so I can't just imagine reading a whole chapter. So, very short. So, to have a family devotional times in the evening, and then just anticipate some backlashes too. Right? Um, as beautiful as it is, as beautiful as we want to do this, you know, you can't imagine. Just I'm trying to prepare you to understand what. Could, might have happened or what could happen? Uh, a mom actually shared this recently with me. She was encouraging her son to read the Bible and pray, and her son immediately responded, saying, "Well, you read the Bible all the time. It doesn't seem to make much bring much change in your life. You're frustrated and you're mad. Well, why should I read the Bible? So she said, she apologized, said, I'm sorry, I'm working. Uh, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to transform me, change me, and, and I said to her, like, if that was my son, I would have said, son, you should have met me before I started reading the Bible. <laughs> you would be very grateful <laughs> and would actually start, probably start reading the Bible because you haven't seen me before, that's a, I've actually shared this, I went back and forth whether I need to share this story or not and I took the mom's permission but I shared this story just to actually encourage you because we all are work in progress we didn't drop from heaven like Jesus Christ did, we're actually from this earth trying work in progress growing the Bible says as we look to him we are actually being transformed into his image day by day, not like the whole thing at once, day by day So be patient with yourself. Just anticipate some of these things. But the important thing is to just start. Don't overthink. Just do it. Like Nike, I guess. (laughs) So going back to our big idea. Abide in God's word to have a heart that honors him and lips that declare his glory. May by God's grace this 2024 be the year for us to do that. To have a heart and let our lips praise him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, God, we are so thankful for giving us your word. God, so thankful. Without it, we would know a creator, but would not know you as our father. Father. We would not know Jesus as our Lord. We would not be transformed. God, thank you so much. We praise you, God. We bless your name for that. Would you help us this year, God? May we hear your word constantly. May we read your word. May we meditate on your word. Memorize your word. Father, may we come to you responding to your word all the time. Please help us. Help us with all the distractions. Help us with just the busyness of our lives to prioritize you. Please work in our lives, God. May at the end of 2024 we come to you and bless your name because you transformed us. Because you increased our affections for your son. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.